This is Beyond Mentorship with Dr. Nimrod Mbele, a show that matches business mentees with exceptional mentors to provide the skills and knowledge to navigate the entrepreneurial journey. Beyond Mentorship is brought to you with the compliments of Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. A very good evening to you on a rather rainy weather here in Johannesburg. This is Beyond Governance, uh, Beyond Mentorship um, uh, show here at 101.9 High FM as well as 91.9. And thanks for tuning in. My name is Nimrod Upambele. Um, I will be with you for the next hour. So, so do stay tuned in for your weekly dosage of business insights and wisdom, which is derived from the seasoned executives um, uh, and entrepreneurs who continue to lift as they rise. Before we get into the gist of our highly anticipated and thought-provoking insights and observation, allow me to express my gratitude to the after- Afternoon Drive team. On that note, thanks, Michael McKenna, for delivering a stellar program and kept, um, for keeping the listeners captivated, and of course, for giving us a, a softer landing on this glorious morning. As we proceed, I would also like to thank the controller in the name of Craig Guthrie, of course, the incredible Harry Seleke, uh, who is the producer of the show. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your uh, input. As we proceed, if you miss any of the last uh, show, not to worry, simply go to the website, download uh, the podcast and share your thoughts with us. Um, if I could quickly reflect my engagement uh, last week, I had a fascinating conversation with Dion Co- Dion Kerr, who is the founder and executive at Siaka Consulting Firm. She definitely left indelible mark in our intellect, and she gave us useful uh, and practical tips on how to stay ahead of the curve. She has been she has been at it for the past 25 years. So do look for that particular podcast if you've missed it and download it, give us your thoughts. Um, in tonight's conversation, I'm joined by the one and only Professor Bonang Mohale, who's currently, who is the current chairperson of Bidvist of <laughs> and the Chancellor of the University of the Fish State, a multiple business award winner, best-selling author of two books, which I had the pleasure of buying, uh, you know, at the heartbeat. One is obviously the Lift as you rise. That was the first book. The second book was um, Behold the Tattle. Um, in my view, Professor Bonang Mahale is embodiment of excellence worthy of emulating across public and private sector organization. On that note, let me take this opportunity to welcome him. Prof, um, welcome to Beyond Mentorship. Absolutely. We're going to come back to Prof Mohale. Uh, I'm told we need to pay the bills in just a second. Craig, let's pay the bills. We'll come back. This is Beyond Mentorship with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. It's brought to you with the compliments of Plus 94 Research, the science of decision making. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in. We have just literally started our conversation. Um, I'm joined by Professor Bonong Mahale, who is the chairperson of Bitvest Group, as well as the chancellor for the University of the Free State. Um, and I'm sure you're quite keen to uh, weigh in on our conversation as a norm. Um, you know, you're welcome to send him, send us a text or, or, or a call. Our SMS line is 3459. The telegram is 0618951095109. And our online is, our line is 0807055418. And your views and thoughts are most welcome via my, my Twitter handle, which is Dr. Mbele. Uh, Dr. Mahale, 
thank you very much for your for your for your time as we, as we in fact let me insert in the scene um, last week, the, the Minister of Finance delivered the budget speech amidst high debts and depressed revenue and contracting uh, economy. What is your overall view of the economic outlook, especially when it comes to um, small and medium companies? I think it's best summarized by the former president of Russia, Mikhail Gorbachev, who gave us both perestroika and Klasnost, the modern day reform of the economy of that juggernaut at that time, which was called the United Soviet Social Republic. When he opined that when all we could do is talk about our past. That's when we knew that the end is near. This is further accentuated by Zapu's leader, Joshua Nko, when he said, this came late to my life, that it is possible for a country to attain its political liberation without its people being free. So leadership is about forward-looking. It's about a compelling vision. It's about courage. It's about integrity. It's not about spending 80% of our time looking backwards. Imagine if you, drived, if you drove a car uh, going from Joburg to Devon, and all you did was just look at the rearview mirror. It's unlikely that you'll get there. If you do, it might not be safe. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you very much, Dr. Mahali, for that uh, interesting reflection based on USSR as well as ZAPU. Um, and, 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 and that particular anecdote is quite useful um, for, for our, our conversation. Um, one of the biggest issues um, in the South African body politic has been the transformation you are among a multitude of individuals who have been entrusted um, by various uh, associations to promote and ensure the attainment of um, the constitution in respect to equity and equality. On paper, everything has been pretty much smooth and beautifully orchestrated, and yet in practice, um, much is less, much is better, less said. And people would say, you know, what has happened? We've got very, we've got very credible leaders, and yet not the needle hasn't moved. What would you say that is, and what accounts for that particular di um, dilemma? I think it finds expression in the budget speech, because the reason why the budget speech always follows the president's state of the nation address is because the state of the nation address is the strategy it looks at key priorities for the coming year of course it glows a little bit about the past uh, and about our accomplishments 
but by and large it sets the tone that is why it's the most important event in the calendar of parliament and sometimes it is colloquially and rightly referred to as the opening of parliament that's why in a company in the beginning of the you start with a strategic planning session that is forward looking to say these are the four or five key priorities that we are going to look at in the coming year. Therefore, the budget is nothing more than a financial language on how we are going to execute on this strategy. Therefore, if you don't mention transformation in the state of the nation address, it is very likely that it will not be allocated the resources in the budget in terms of personnel, time, but most importantly, money. Therefore, you are unlikely to achieve the transformation imperative. Let me submit that 30 years into democracy, there is nothing more important and more urgent than ensuring that this economy looks like us, that it is broadly reflective of the demographics. And if we now find it fashionable not to mention transformation, at the time that all of us can admit that we have not collectively succeeded in eradicating the legacy of 48 years of apartheid, 98 years of separate development, 370 years of colonialism, that we're not brave and bold enough to say 30 years into democracy, isn't it amazing that poverty still has primarily a black and feminine face? And put differently, if wealth is the inevitable outcome of both hard work and enterprise, then every woman in Africa should be a dollar billionaire. Therefore, for me, the reason why we say we have the best constitution in the world, it's not the 198 chapters that are contained in the main body of the constitution. No, it's the best in the world because we borrowed and stole from absolutely the best in the world. We borrowed from the Bumiputra experience in Malaysia on how the indigenous Malay were excluded from the economic mainstream by the Chinese. We learned from the Canadian experience as to how you can create space for women to be adequately represented uh, in parliament. It is the best in the world because of what is contained in the one page uh, called the preamble to the constitution because it picks up from the 27th of June in Clip Town in 1955, when we said, and South Africa will belong to all who live in, in it, black and white. And it starts, the Constitution preamble says, we the people, my ways, not the politicians. It then goes on to say, recognizing the past injustice, and then in the middle, it both implores and mandates you, Litebel, and I to correct these past injustices. Lastly, it says it's the best in the world because it rests on just three principles. 
Number one, it talks about this notion of a constitutional democracy. That even if we wanted to do what the Africaners did to us in terms of apartheid, allocating 90% of the country's resources, just to 10% of the population, we can't because we chose to be a constitutional democracy. Therefore, it affirms the supremacy of the constitution above the executives. Secondly, it talks about social justice. You see, equality is not justice. There is nothing more unequal as treating two unequal people equally. Lastly, it talks about fundamental human rights. The state of these contained in the United Nations Charter. Yes, there's a freedom of speech. Yes, there's a freedom of association. But the one that is less sexy for us to talk about is the freedom from hunger. Thirty years into democracy, there's 60.02 million South Africans. Half of us, 30 million, live below the poverty datum line described as 867 rent per month combined household income. Unemployment, we are talking about more than 11 million people that are unemployed. It has edged up to 32%. But youth unemployment is the one that needs to scare us. And this is on a narrow definition, by the way, because on the expanded definition, our unemployment is approaching 40%, youth unemployment more than 60%. So when young... If I can interject, uh, Prof. If I can interject, uh, uh, Prof. Yes. um, You know, there there are quite a number of points that you have just brought to attention, which I want us to reflect on a little bit more after this quick break. This is Beyond Mentorship with Dr. Nimrod Mbele is brought to you with the compliments of Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. This is Beyond Mentorship. I mean, I mean, uh, conversation with Professor Bonang Mahale. Uh, before we, we, we took that uh, short break, he was giving us insights as to what it means to be a South African. We've got so much to celebrate on a basis of constitutional democracy, which is which rests on social justice, which also um, has in, enshrined in, in a human rights. It is my, despite these very sexy, so to say, so, so to say, um, um, articulations, the reality on the ground it, it's very is very distressful. We're currently sitting with 28 million South Africans who are on social grounds. And to your point, Prof, before we went to the break, you, you give us yet another stat that we're currently sitting at about um, just over 11 million South Africans who are unemployed, and of which the majority of those who are unemployed are youth. And coming back to how do we build resilience? Because the show seeks to instigate a strategic direction towards building small businesses. And and based all given the context that you've already painted for us, how do we take the small business, um, a small and medium businesses forward, um, you know, based on the budget speech and based on what is currently available in this in a form of funding institutions. The reason I'm asking this 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 question, Prof, is that you know we have a number of funding institutions 
in this country, both uh, commercial funding institutions in the form of the banks, but as also as as well as state funding institutions. But those who are, you know, in the business would also often tell you that there's not there's no there's no different, which begs the question. Is the template that has been used by the funding institution of states correct? And if it is not correct, if it's correct, why is it that buzzing businesses, buzzing entrepreneurs cannot find favor in those institutions? And Lidabella, you have hit the nail on the head. It's going to be very difficult to allocate resources to small and medium enterprises. I exclude micro because that is survivalist, because context is everything. We are now in the midst globally of the two wars, but also supply chain disruptions. Lastly, where more than 70 countries are going to elections this year, 15 of them are in Africa, one of them is South Africa. That's half the 8 billion global population. And not all those countries that have elections every five years or every four years are democracies. So one of the key low-hanging fruits to address both youth unemployment and the township economy is tourism. That also has the potential to be the biggest foreign currency earner for most countries. It has the potential to provide both oversized and outsized employment, especially for the youth, where 60% are below, of this South African public is below 60 years of age. It has tangible benefits as most of both the labor and the products that can be provided by and sourced from are from the local community often without the need for these young people to take expensive public transport to go to work. They can just walk. So treated well and engaged, the same community will protect the entire tourism and hospitality value chain. So in the eight years, from 2012 to 2019, South Africa recorded less than 800,000 tourists arrivals from India versus Australia more than 2 million. And the point I want to make is if South Africa was able to sustain the initial growth rate in terms of tourist arrivals from India and keep pace with the growth rate that Australia enjoyed, you know Litterbell could have banked an extra 9.3 billion rand but, but here's to our economy. Absolutely, but you raise a very pertinent point. But on the same, on the same note, uh, note, Prof. Um, tourism is a logging fruit, but the the lurking to that below that is this monster called crime. And townships are the are, the, are actually at the forefront of the fight against crime moreover than you know your suburbs and stuff like that so it is it is correct that that is a low-hanging fruit it but it is difficult to material purely because crime is 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 that is highest and we seem to be failing in addressing it oh again spot on tourists won't come when you're unsafe because not only will you take their luggage their cameras their cell phones but you'll also take their money 
and they might get killed. Mm. So at the moment, we are probably the murder capital of the world, killing about 87 people on average a day, every day. So I think as small and medium enterprises and big business, we have an opportunity on the 29th of May, which is our election, to vote wisely and to insist as business that we will fund only political parties and individuals that sign up to no more than just five simple things. Number one must be transformation, even if it's less fashionable to talk about. Number two is ethical leadership. Number three is good governance. Number four is service delivery because that is the job description of politicians. And then lastly is what you raise, which is law and order, safety and security. At the moment, most of us are not feeling safe in the streets, let alone in our own homes when we are sleep, sleeping. The recent crime stats per the last quarter of 2023 shows that most of them have actually gone up, especially violent crimes. What business really needs, it's simple things. It wants regulatory certainty and policy stability. And it wants law and order. That's why in our conversation with government, we are saying as business, we will help on ending load shedding, not in December of 2023, because that's not believable, but fast. Because electricity is a fourth means of production. Number two, you say we have to solve the backbone of this economy, which is the infrastructure, which is transnet. At one instance, there were 70 ships that were clogged up in the Devon Harbour, which is now the third from the bottom in terms of effectiveness and efficiency. And it suffers from lack of skills and experience that the people that are there now, even when the wind is blowing at less than 30 knots, they don't feel comfortable to invite these ships to come and dock because purely they don't have the skills or the experience or the confidence for that matter. And then lastly, of course, we said we have to say South Africa is open for business. And for that, we need to provide a safe and secure environment. Because even at a personal level, as I end, when you are the blessed one, your job is to make the table longer, not the walls higher. Dad. Thank you very much for that. Make the table longer so that people don't settle for crumbs. People need to be invited onto the table, not beneath the table. But one point that um, perhaps maybe it didn't come out clear or I did not capture uh, my good prof is, you know, transformation. Yes, all the points that you made that you referred to are quite important. And for, for us who will be voting on the 29th of May, um, as well as business uh, position, it's very clear. But here's another issue that is lingering, particularly from the accountability point of view. We have had the state, we have, we have had the Zondo Commission of Inquiry into state capture, and which implicated a number of senior government officials, including cabinet, cabinet ministers, and yet we have not had, we have spent close to a billion rands of taxpayers' money, and yet we have not seen much, even in the State of the Nation's address, not much confidence 
I'm not sure from business point of view. You obviously sit in those fora. What is your position in, in ensuring that indeed the, the needle moves on that particular issue? So first, it needs bold, decisive, and incisive leadership. Because this sixth administration, when it came into office, it inherited no less than 30 thieves. And our constitution says the appointment of the cabinet is the sole prerogative of the sitting president. Not the top six or seven, not the national assembly, the sole prerogative of the president. So we're expecting that there'll be a clean out of these thieves and bring in people of integrity, of wholesomeness. But lo and behold, 20 of them were reappointed. Not only were they reappointed, every single solitary one of them went on to be promoted to be the chairperson of parliamentary portfolio committees. Therefore, sending a strategic message that says, in South Africa, crime pays. You reference the Zondo Commission. The sixth administration will go down in history as the one that had more commissions of inquiry than all the five administrations that preceded it. Because we don't want to take the hard decisions. We'd rather have the committee make the recommendation. Even when the committee, like the Zondo Commission says, there is 97 ANC members, and it calls them out by name. Not a single one of them has been sent to jail. Museben Zizwane, after the Estina Daily Farm, which is still ongoing, still sits in parliament, and last week was not once but twice found guilty to be in contempt of parliament, the highest decision-making body in this country. And what was the sanction? No, he's not fired. They're docking half of his one month's salary. It's not even a slap on the wrist. The message we are sending is we're not ready, we're not serious, we're not willing, we don't have the political will to deal with state capture that has stolen 1.5 trillion reds in five years, still siphons off 200 billion just to the two Zupta families in the nine wasted years. And the most painful thing is that in the sixth administration, actually state capture is still continuing unabated. That's uh, so uh, encouraging news that, you know, assessments based on you coming from. And these are some of the issues that we as ordinary folks are observing on a day-to-day basis. And it's quite disheartening that we would have expected action and more action and all what we hear, you know, from the sitting president and his cabinet, um, just lip, lip service. And it really begins to wonder whether indeed we have been taken serious or not. And if they don't take people like yourself, such as yourself, who sit down on the table to have robust conversations about the implications on non, non, non-delivery on promises made, you know, we are currently sitting, the, the economy is it's in tatters. And these are some of the issues that 
would have been elevated and executed on the basis of agency, but clearly we are not moving where we're supposed to be moving uh, from, that, from that end. Um, as we proceed, one of the critical issues that I want to raise with you, <coughs> which, which is meant to serve as motivation to up-and-coming entrepreneurs and business folks, is that, you know, over the past 30 years, you have not lost your saltiness. You have not lost your agencies. You have remained, you have remained relevant. Whether we're talking the work you have done at Otis Elevators, the work that you've done at South African Airways, the work that you've done at uh, BMF, Shell, Salam, Business Leadership SA, Boost and so on and so forth. And currently uh, with business, you have not lost your, your saltiness. How do you maintain relevance you know, and the demands for your intellect as a servant leader? So maybe as a preamble to say, actually our economy is getting worse because all things considered, this economy today should be 20% bigger. But it's not. But when you do math, it simply says that we collect every year in the last 10 years on average about 1.4 trillion South African reds through the South African Revenue Services, Edward Kisveta, who and his team are doing a sterling job in spite of them having been captured by the state capture machinery. And when you divide 1.4 trillion with 60.02 million South Africans, there's absolutely no reason why any of us should go to bed hungry. Absolutely no reason whatsoever. Which says South Africa, like Africa, the continent, is not a poor country, therefore not a poor continent. Just poorly managed. This last financial year, Edward Keith Vetter collected 2 trillion rands, having paid back the vet refunds to corporates and to individuals, he still banked 1.687 trillion South African rents. And yet, we don't have money to employ the more than 800 doctors to do their two years of internship or housemanship. These are the people who used to sit on the apex of the professions. Now they are sitting unemployed. And they can't even open up a surgery in a because they still have to complete these two years before they are licensed as general practitioners. And yet, in the hospitals, there are vacancies. We have the highest proportion of one doctor to the number of patients in the world. And our excuse is that no, but 70% gets gobbled up just by salaries. But part of the healthcare budget was stolen when the president announced the 500 billion rent economic stimulus as a response to the pandemic. Part of it was stolen when we bought the PPEs just to make sure that we save lives and livelihoods. Part of it is still being stolen today in NESFAS where we are supposed to be educating our children because that's the shortest way in which one transcends social classes. 
the Department of Higher Education and Training led by Dr. Bladen Zimande, tells us that in 2022, there were 1.2 million students in the 26 public universities. 2023, we have more than 2 million people who have applied to be on NESFAS. And all of us were horrified to say now we are stealing even the future of our children because NESFAS itself is a subject of a corruption investigation as captured by those voice recordings. So not only are we stealing the money from housing our own people, we are now stealing from the sick and the dying and the, from the mouths of the young. Little bit. On that very depressing note, you're going to take a break. I'll be back in a second. This is Beyond Mentorship with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. It's brought to you with the compliments of Plus 94 Research, the science of decision making. Welcome back to Beyond Mentorship. Nimrod Mbele here. I am joined by one and only Professor Bondang Mahale, who is a chairperson um, at, 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 at Bidvest Group, as well as the Chancellor of the University of uh, the Free State. Prof is an award-winning uh, author, as well as multiple winning, um, I mean, he's got so many accolades, I could spend all day trying to put them through. It is on that basis that we quite privileged indeed to have a man of his stature uh, in our midst. And for he represent the embodiment of business excellence, which is the thrust of our conversation on this glorious uh, evening. Prof, before we took that break, one of the issues that you brought to attention, painfully so far that matters, is the fact that South Africa is not necessarily a poor country, but it is just badly managed. You made reference to the doctors who are languishing in poverty because there's no money to pay them, because the money has been stolen, um, the money has been stolen. Uh, throughout every single initiative that is manned, you know, to address inequalities and so on and so forth. NEFSAs, PPEs, these are classical examples that you are putting, that, that you are referring to and, and explaining as to why South Africa is, is, it is where it is. But having said that, on a positive note, and I've, 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 I suppose the question in, is, a person of your stature, you know, anyone can look at you you, you have been upright and ethical, which is an embodiment or one of the critical elements that we should all look for in the up-and-coming business executive as well as business folks. The question that I wanted to ask, which I've been asked to ask you, is that of your relevance. How do you maintain your saltiness? Because any agent, you know, um, whether you put sugar in water, water changes. When you put salt in water, water changes, which means the character, everything that you touch, the mm -hmm. texture changes. So what, what, what would you attribute your, 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 your position to? I think it's a simple notion that simply says you have to love your people in order to lead them. Because leadership is a privilege to improve the quality of the majority of our people, not an opportunity to enrich self. It is other-centered, not self-centered. Leadership is about ensuring that we create holding spaces to allow the majority of our people to participate in the economy. 
not for them to reach their fullest potential. No, for them just to reach their potential so that they can reclaim their self-respect and their self-worth because there is no nobility in being poor and we cannot continue to romanticize poverty. Is It should concern all of us that 30 years into democracy, yet the people who have made the most amount of money in this country are not the black people who voted and ushered in the first democratically elected president of the Republic, Nelson Mandela. No. It's the Jewish people, it's the Africaners, it's the Muslims. Purely and simply because that's how the math works. When opportunities open up, it's the people who have capital that will continue to be richer. The poor will continue to be poorer. And in the interest of time, I think to give us hope, we need to learn from these three communities as to what is it that they are doing commonly amongst the three of them. And they've got 10 secrets. Let me just talk about three in the interest of time. They simply ask the question, do you as a family and as a community regularly sit around the table and talk about how to make money? Number two, they say, do you as a family and as a community, do you buy from each other and one another's businesses? Lastly, it says, do you as a family and as a community invest in and refer business to each other and one another. If we did only that, I think most of these problems will be a thing of the past. Because we will invest in this notion that is called generational wealth. At the moment, we are the ones that are impoverishing our children. In fact, when you see even the budget speech, it says, we have dipped into the reserves, not to invest in growth, but to reduce our debt. Because our debt now is at an order of a billion rent a day every day. 20% is spent of our budget in just servicing this debt. Most countries that have defaulted on their debt in the world have shown a tendency to creep up towards 20% of debt to, to GDP ratio. And we're exactly there with our eyes wide open. Yesterday was the anniversary of the great listing of South Africa, anti-money laundering and the financing of terrorism. We're asked to do only 23 things. We have not closed out on no more than five of those how do we then look at ourselves in the mirror and say we are worthy of leadership when we can make promises with absolutely no intention of putting systems and processes and action plans to achieve the promises that we have made. Later on. We've got every single insight from your end, uh, Professor Mahale, that on the, on the 29th of May, people who will be you know, going to, the, to cast their votes They've got the template, they've got the um, insights, they know exactly what not to do uh, if they were to change the look and feel of this country. No one will blame 
I mean, in fact, we all have to blame ourselves. If you if you don't cast your votes, you've got yourself to blame. And you have to go out there and cast your vote next to a, a political party that you think is likely to make the difference. The great listen that you made reference to, obviously, um, it is an issue considering the fact that um, you know we need public and private private sector confidence. If we are not addressing some of these global concerns, we are diminishing our confidence. And in that way, we will not be able to get the economy back on track because we do need foreign direct investment, you know, to address the kind of messy situation that we find ourselves in. As we gravitate towards the end of the show, Prof, let's take a break and we'll be back in a second. This is Beyond Mentorship with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. It's brought to you with the compliments of Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back uh, to Beyond Mentorship, Nimrod Mbele here. I'm joined by the one and only Professor Bonang Muhale, the author of The uh, Lifted to Rise and Behold the Tattle. He's the chairperson of Bisbet Group as well as the Chancellor of the University of the Free State. Uh, Professor Muhale is giving us critical insights on how to reformat ourselves as a community. Three critical things that would that stood out for me before we took that break one is the fact that other communities that are making it they've got three things in common the first one is they sit down on the table to talk about business the second one the second point is they invest in each other's business or businesses and they refer people to their own businesses if we were to emulate these three things which are not rocket science. It's just a, a question of changing the attitude, changing the mindset. This can certainly happen within Fosloras, Togoza, Sprite, uh, Weinbeck, all the black, you know, all the black um, townships in the main have the potential to redress themselves if they were to apply these basic rules, if you like, that Professor Mahale shared with us. Prof, as we, as we proceed, one point that, um, that, that you know, I want you to share with us is, you know, obviously for you to become successful in business, there are a lot of would-be entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who listen to the show now. What is your message of resilience to them? So I think the first message is to set ourselves objectives that really scare the living daylights out of us. Because the task is so big, we're almost overwhelmed, and sometimes we don't even know where to start. We need to look at a thousand priorities, and just pick five, that if we do not do, we risk the success and the continuance of this country and therefore will be condemning our people into the self-perpetuating vicious cycle of abject poverty. Number two, at a personal level, I think you need to have a conversation with oneself that simply says, but why was I brought to this world? Surely not just to consume oxygen. Therefore, what is my purpose? Because all of us have a purpose. Secondly, to choose where you are going to play because now Mandela has given us many options. It's no longer go to school, study, get a job, get married and die. 
There are so many options. The third is you need to define for yourself what does success mean for you and when is enough enough? Because success surely must be a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Whatever that worthy ideal is. If my daughter says I want I want to be a bus driver, I would encourage them to say, go and be the best bus driver there is. Because economies are built by people who are producing goods and services that the world needs. And if you get it right, you can name your price. The fourth one for me is what skills do I need? The last one is who is going to help me? But literally, you raise something very important um, around voting. You know, in Australia, if you don't vote, you go to jail. Now, in South Africa, it's worse than that because people died for us to be free. Therefore, you can't think that you are protesting when you are not voting. You need to encourage the 60% of the population that is 35 years and younger to say you must go out in numbers and choose the type of leadership that you think is best positioned to give you a better life for all. And for us to say, I think we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We need to learn from the rest of the continent. I'm talking about the 1.3 billion of us, 55 countries that speak no less than 3,000 languages. Who taught us and told us that, no, wait, you guys are excited. You go to multilateral institutions and you walk tall. You're going to be just like us. And the three lessons we learned from the rest of the continent was one, the 40-year, 50-year Uhuru presidents that want to die on the job are not good for Africans. Number two, that even the good guys left on their own for far too long eventually become the bad guys. Lastly, that we need a viable opposition just to keep the good guys in check. I genuinely believe that if we focus just on those few things, we can start building one brick at a time. What other countries have managed to achieve on average in 20 years. Singapore was expelled by its own parent, Malaysia. In 40 years, it was in the top five highest per capita countries in the world. Even next door here, uh, Rwanda, hate or like Paul Kagame, he's looked after his 12 million people, who on the exact day, 27th of April, when we're electing our people, Tutsis and Hutus, massacred each other. By the end of that month, a million people were killed. But in 20 years, in Rwanda, they no longer talk about Tutsis or Hutus, only Rwandans. You go to Kigali, there's free Wi-Fi on buses. You walk in midnight, you feel free in Rwanda. And Rwanda didn't have to sound clever. They simply took the model of Singapore as it is, based just on three pillars. Number one is meritocracy. Number two is pragmatism. Lastly is honesty. Because you see, when you do good, doing good is good for everyone. And us as business, we need to continue to do well by doing good. Because those that are helping others are fulfilling God's work, literally. 
Thank you very much, Prof, for those uh, interesting observation insights, which has certainly made us a better people. Um, I do like the last point that you've raised that, you know, if we were to capture three things, meritocracy, you know, let's get the right people, you know, to the right position at the right time. Let us be practical in what we can do. The earlier point you mentioned that, you know, every single speeches that you hear, it's all about how well we did 20 years ago. You don't live your life. Your life backward you live your life forward the other the last point that you've raised which is which is the result or which resulted to the Zuno Commission is honesty and integrity which is lacking daily purely because we don't have sufficient men and women of credibility on the other side to keep those that were good at some point but who became bad Molani, thank you very much for your for your time it has been absolutely beautiful as always the devil that they, this is God's own country and we need to bring it up to meet its potential. There you are. That's Professor Bona Mahale, who is the uh, the chairperson at Bedford's group as well as the chancellor of the University of Free State and a very successful, successful business person. And I said, the hope that we have all heard his message, particularly on individuals, businesses, and the country. That's the nature of his contribution on this glorious day. For those things that he touched about speaks to, well, they embody, if you like, excellence, which is something that we should always pursue as South Africans. We're going to have to leave it here. We have run out of time. It has been absolutely beautiful. Be kind. That's for it doesn't cost you anything. Shalom.